you do have your Bibles, I think, and you're literate, you can see where to go. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, getting started here. Uh, I don't know if you care, but I'll tell you anyway uh, how I come up with the sermons, what I'm going to do. I've got this dartboard at home, and I just throw it. No, it's not that way. The, uh, just kind of whatever seems to be something the congregation might need. I, I've been noticing, I've been using a lot in the last couple years, Second Corinthians verses to help myself and other people. And I'm like, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I don't think I've ever preached through it. I don't know if you remember, if you were here, it was probably about four or five years ago, we went through First Corinthians. So we're going to look into Second Corinthians today. Uh, but you always kind of want to set this up. And one thing I... Uh, when you do this type of thing, it kind of seems just like history and all that. It's not really what it's about. It's the idea that uh, if you came here today thinking that you're, if you're a visitor, if you're looking for a church that doesn't have any problems, then you might as well leave now, right? I mean, it's not, you're not going to find one. Uh, and you'll see this as you go. Here's a church founded by the Apostle Paul. And it might look, makes us look like choir boys and girls because it's, uh, they got some problems. Uh, and we'll see kind of why. He sets up this church in his second missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts 18. And this is what Acts is so wonderful for because it helps us understand all these letters. Uh, he stays for a year and a half to get this thing set up. And he, light, uh, he later writes a, a letter to instruct their and correct their behavior. We don't have this letter. We just know he wrote it. Um, and... The reason that we don't have it is, I don't know. I mean, we just don't have it. We have what we need, I think. Uh, but this was, so this is really kind of not the first letter, it's the second letter. So I guess we'd call that zero Corinthians if we had to do that. So he eventually, he, he clarifies this earlier letter and responds to good news. He hear, Here's some news back. And that's what he's doing. You'll see this a lot in Paul's writings. He's really, really concerned with the false teaching coming in, which is pretty much what all 2 Corinthians is about. And what's going to happen to you as we go through this? I bet there's three dozen gems in here that you have used and you've known. You just maybe not known they were in 2 Corinthians. Uh, he answers some questions about his teaching. This is, this is 1 Corinthians. He writes this from Ephesus 52 AD. Um, he's starting to see some emerging criticism of himself. Uh, so we'll see a little bit of that in here too. And he's going to visit him again, he says. He just really, ca you, these, when you look at First and Second Corinthians, you see the heart of Paul. You see he really cares about these people. He's not just go in, get a church set up, and I'm good. Uh, he he wants them to know Christ. He wants them to continue in Christ, and he's very concerned about that. If he was someone that believed you just kind of get your, you know, you make your decision, and then you believe this would make no sense. Why would he write a letter? You got what you need. You're fine. No, this is too important to him. So he does eventually visit them again, but the spiritual weakness of the church there and the attack by some in Corinth, which seemed to be pretty biting, regarding his teaching, caused him to write a severe letter, and we don't have this one either. <laughs> so it's like, there actually was four letters, maybe five written, and we have either two or three of them, depending on how you look at it. Uh, it's lost. He, he alludes to it in, in 2 Corinthians. So what's he do? What do you do when you have problems? You send somebody you trust. And so Titus, who gets his own book in the Bible as a letter, he sends him off there, says, find out what's going on here. Uh, and it's a good, and we'll get this toward the end of the sermon, um, we do this sometimes, don't we? It's like, well, I can't do anything else, so I guess I'll pray. 
I mean, isn't that kind of the way we do it? It's like, I can't do it myself. So and then all the other way we'll go is it's like, you know, we'll, we'll just pray and never do anything. Well, Paul kind of did both. Uh, he's praying for these folks. We know that. But he's also being active. And how do you know when to do that? Well, just you got to use wisdom. Um, I don't think Paul sat there and said, well, should I send Titus? Or I don't, I don't know. What do you think? And let's see if there's a sign if I should send Titus. He just sent him. Now, he comes back with a good report. And uh, the Corinthian church has confronted the enemies of the gospel. They've took care of that. They've disciplined the in individuals that we see in 1 Corinthians. And then he writes the first nine chapters of 2 Corinthians. He writes his 55 AD, probably from Macedonia, uh, somewhere up in there, Thessalonica, Berea, up in there somewhere. So this, and this is kind of the background of our, our, our text today, is this, he's expressing joy. So 2 Corinthians is kind of an uplifting letter. 1 Corinthians is kind of like, how many problems can one church have? <laughs> Just a lot. He talks of some travel plans, and he explains his apostolic ministry, which is very helpful for us. And then he gives detailed instructions, and we see this throughout a number of his letters. Uh, at that time, there was a famine, drought, and some pestilence going through Jerusalem, and the, the churches were economically struggling. So a lot of Paul's letters talk about the collection. What are they doing? They're collecting money so these people can eat. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Um, so he talks about that. And then he gets more information that the false apostles are back. And so and then he writes 2 Corinthians 10 through 13. So kind of, is it a separate letter? Is it the same letter? Well, what's he do this? He wants to dispel the suspicion against him. We're going to get that. He's gonna, he wants them to be loyal to him because he's a true uh, ambassador for the gospel. And he wants to say he's coming again. Um, He's going to do what it's need. Now, we don't know if Paul wrote this portion before or after he sent off the first part. What we find in manuscript evidence is almost always this together. So do what you want with that. But again, what's this, why know all this? Well, this, the letter we're going to read is the first part's kind of cool. You know, you guys are doing better. It's working. It's working through the sanctification of a community of faith. The second part, he has to get into some more stuff about the, the gospel. What's the true gospel versus the false gospel. So that brings us uh, to who, what Corinth is. Uh, anybody been to Corinth? Not today. But, okay, total of none. Um, me neither. <laughs> so that's, uh, it was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. So if you see this map, uh, it's right there in this little isthmus thing. Um, and you can see to get there, you got two choices to go through here or to go this way, and most of the time they went this way. Apparently there's some water problems in there. Uh, a lot cheaper to go the other way. But it sets in this area right here, and, and, and what we see is it, it was destroyed in 146 by, uh, B.C. by Rome, and it was rebuilt in 44 B.C. I think your outline may say A.D. You can correct that. Uh, so it's really kind of a new city, but here's the key. And you see this somewhat in 2 Corinthians, but a lot in 1 Corinthians. They had great temples. This was a place, this was a center where all, this is a place to stop. Lot is like, you know, on the interstate highway. This is, everybody comes. And you got people from all kinds of dialects. Some, at one time, uh, an ancient historian said there's many 34 different languages spoken in Corinth. It's a lot of languages. I struggle with one sometimes, but uh, a lot. And there were temples dedicated to Athena, 
Apollos, Zeus, Aphrodite, Asclepius, the god of healing, and many others. And, and so what was Corinth known for? It's artistry, a lot of culture, if you want to call it that, a lot of wealth, and a lot of shameless sexuality. And that mostly came from the temples. Temple prostitution was pretty much rampant. That's mostly dealt with in 1 Corinthians. Uh, but if you think about it, if you look at 1 Corinthians for a second, what happened also is in these temples, people would kind of lather themselves up to the point where they'd start babbling and saying God was talking through them. He deals with that in 1 Corinthians 14. Because you've got, you got all these languages and people are trying. And if you read 1 Corinthians 14 knowing that and take out tongue and put in language, it makes a lot more sense. Assignment. Do that. Give me a call if you don't know what's going on, and I'll give you a little bit more. But this is the city he's coming into. Now, you think about why did he even want to plant a church here? It was hard. They were mean. He had to write multiple letters. A couple of them were very biting. Well, it's because Christianity is, is, is supposed to be for sinners, not for people who all got, got themselves cleaned up already. You know, we sung these songs, and that's great, and we want to sing these songs. But I would assume every one of you have something in your life that maybe isn't as fun as you'd like it to be. And it doesn't mean you have to put on a frowny face all the time. That's not the point. You come here and you praise, and that's great. But if this doesn't help, if the, if the gospel doesn't help with the rest of it, it's just a bunch of fluff, right? Uh, maybe a little both is what we need. So let's get into the text. First 11 verses, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth with all saints, all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very common greeting from Paul. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, and the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you, sharing in our sufferings, will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. He also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So we see this, I, I like the, love the way he starts it, you know, Paul, by the will of God. He is doing this because God wants him to, not because he thinks this is just a good idea on his own. He's an apostle with a big A. He's, this is the Holy Spirit leading him, by the will of God. And then we get Timothy. He gets two books um, in there. Uh, Timothy was a compatriot of Paul. He is here. He eventually becomes the, the pastor of the Ephesus church. He was from Lystra, which on our map is a little farther over this way if it was up there. Um, and then he says to all the saints, if there's one word in the, our culture that is not used in the Bible the same way it is now, it's saints. 
When you think of, most people think of saints, what do they think of? Drew Brees, yeah. Um, okay, that's not most people. That would probably be me. Um, <laughs> that's one of them. But most of the time we think of, you know, people who have statues, right? And usually little glowy things on their head, um, which is nothing, you know, I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm sure they're nice people. Um, but this, the way that, that's not what the word is ever used. It's used 40 times in Paul's New Testament, and it just means those who are dedicated to Christ. So if you're dedicated to Jesus, you're a saint, right? But we don't say it that way, because we'll say, well, you know, I know, you know, I'm no saint. It's like, don't say that. <laughs> if you're dedicated to Christ, you should try that, especially with your Catholic friends. <laughs> well, I'm a saint. And they can say, based on their definition, you have to have done a miracle, been very reverent for Christ, and be dead. So you, the last one you ain't got. So um, different different definitions, and you know, and some you may have translation that say the holy ones. This is the agios word in, in Greek. Um, I'm still wondering if I should keep pushing this and trying to get everybody to call people saints, or just leave it alone and just go dedicated to Christ. If you have any advice, you can either uh, you can let me know or shout it out. I don't care. Um, the uh, so what's the theme here? Did you catch the theme? I'm like, how many times can one guy use comfort in one sentence? Um, this is comfort. This is what it's about. This is key. Why does he start it this way? Well, because it's what we need. Uh, the word is periclesis. So you've probably heard that word. Um, I guess I didn't put it in there. But if you go into the upper room discourse, I think it's John 14, 26. I'll check that, but I think that's right. It is good that I go away from you, Jesus told them, because I will send to you the paraclete, the noun version of this. The Holy Spirit's name is comforter. And sometimes you'll see it translated that way. Well, what does that tell us about what God does for us? You know, what's he talking? He's talking about suffering. He's talking about going through tough times, people not listening to the gospel, people calling him a fraud. But he has that deep comfort. And what you're going to see is two different levels of comfort. you got the paraclete comforting you, the very spirit of God that gives you something that nobody else can give, that nobody can take away. And you see Paul has that. And then you've got that comfort, the paraclete that we give people because we are, know him and they receive it because they know him too. Um, I mean, isn't that what we do when we have bad things happen to each other? We, we go and comfort each other. And what's the best way to comfort somebody that believes? Remind them of the great comforter. I mean, that's, that's it. It becomes more than just an objective thing that just the Bible teaches about a subjective thing where our very hearts are comforted, and it's almost hard to get words around. But it includes exhorting them, encouraging them, or consoling them. It's all those things. So... You could kind of say, you could almost read this as this is Holy Spiriting, helping Holy Spirit either pointing to him or who will then point to Jesus or pointing, uh, just helping them at, at, at a relational level. So, you know, comfort's always relational, right? We're not talking about, you know, lazy boys here. Um, this is talking about people. Um, and what's the foundation for Paul? It should be the foundation for us that we have God's comfort so we can pass that on to others. And that's what he's trying to say. Because I am comforted, you can be comforted. And, and he keeps it. And verse 6 is pivotal here. If we are afflicted, and he will read about some of the afflictions they went through in Asia, or if we're comforted, 
And I think he's talking about the lower level there. If people are treating us like dirt or people are treating us well, we do it for your comfort, which includes your salvation. We've talked about that. I've talked about that with a number of people, and people will say, well, how can somebody go through you know, a tough time without God, without a true belief and the comforter? And I guess my, my answer is every time is not very well. Heck, those of us who have them don't know it very well, right? But we have that anchor. It's so important to Paul. That's why it's so fun, in my opinion, to read Paul, because no matter what happens to this dude, he still comes out up. You know, anastasis maybe. I don't know. What was that old commercial when our kids were little? Uh, Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Anybody remember that other than me? It's kind of Paul. You know, they keep trying to knock him down, and do poof, back up. I think that's kind of sometimes we, but be careful with this, you know. I don't, you know, maybe we don't pop up quite as quick as a weeble sometimes. <laughs> it can take some time because uh, we go through tough times. But this is what this letter is about, but there's so much joy and depth of theology and how we live the Christian life because he's got joy in uh, the people because after all of this time, they're starting to figure it out. We've got true believers here. Um, it's kind of, verse 6 is another way of saying that no matter what you do, like Colossians says, we do it for Jesus. You know, that's how, how do I know if something's right? Does it, does it honor Jesus? Then, then, then you do it. If it doesn't, then don't. You know. And if it's in the middle, I don't know, figure it out. Ask somebody smarter than you. Uh, but that's very pivotal. And then what is this tied to? And, and this doesn't preach as well as some other things, I realize, but this is all tied to the suffering for Christ. Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to ask Paul whether you're, you, you, is that going to happen. If you want to move over to sec, uh, uh, verse 11, Chapter 11, excuse me, verse 24, we'll, we'll look at some of, uh, you've probably heard this list, and we'll obviously go through it again when we get there in a couple uh, uh, months, years, whatever, however we get there. 24, um, this is kind of his, uh, and I don't know if he's just belly aching or if it's just information, but five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. I think I'd be done after one of those. Um, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Uh, contextually, that has nothing to do with Colorado marijuana laws um, or every other state, I think, at this time. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, which all those pretty much are in Second Corinthians. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? But then he goes on and just says, so what? <laughs> you know? but, but man, this guy went through a lot of stuff. And I think that should frame, who's, you know, when you read this, think about who this guy is. Remember w w when we went through Acts, what, what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus? You know, he's going on the road, whether he's on a horse or not, I don't know. But he gets knocked down. And depending on what version you read, either they could hear something or just saw some light or something. But he's hearing, he sees the risen Lord. 
you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And they know, I didn't really know I was doing that, to paraphrase. <laughs> but at the end, he says, I will show you how much you will have to suffer for my name. So Paul knew this was coming. Uh, and I, I mean, you're probably sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing you are. If Jesus came to me and said, you can either suffer for me or not, I'd probably take two. If you can take one, you know, <laughs> well, I'm a better Christian than I am. I mean, I might want to ask questions, but what, what, what would happen if I took one? Uh, you know, I'm not persecuting Christians. You don't have to give me the Paul thing. Uh, and this could be unique. I'm not, don't take from this that, well, if I don't suffer more for Jesus, then I'm not a true. It'll come on its own, right? We're going to suffer in one of two ways in this life if we're Christians. We're going to suffer because people are going to look down on us or say that we're hypocrites or say that we don't love people because we're following the Lord as our audience of one. And in this life, we'll have trouble. Things happen. This is not the way it's going to end, folks. We all know that, right? We have that hope. So we have to remember that. The suffering happens, but it can't define us. And just like when Jesus told that one guy to sell everything that he has and follow me, he's not necessarily saying that to you, right? Don't take Paul's thing and think, well, I got to suffer as much for him. I don't know. I look around and I'm like, I know a lot of you have gone through enough, <laughs> maybe. And just use it. It's supposed to focus. And we'll look at a couple of two verses here from James and from Romans that help us understand that. But, you know, when you think about it, this gospel only makes sense if when the rubber hits the road, right? If Jesus is our Lord and Savior and everything's going good, you can about throw anybody in you want there. Krishna, Buddha. Where is he when things are going bad? Does the gospel work then? I think it does. You know, that we're guilty, we repent, we follow him, we experience the grace, so we want to live a life of gratitude, and no matter what happens, he's the one we're focused on, fixing our eyes on him. So, verse 7, endurance. Uh, I like that word. We see it a lot. It's translated a little bit different. But this should be the main response to suffering, it seems to me. And we'll look at how that works here in a second. But endurance, you endure through. There's no victim theology in the Bible. I don't know if you noticed that. There's belly aching, but not victim. Uh, there's complaining, but that's not where you stop. You know, woe is me. Um, I mean, you think about it. When you go through tough times, is Jesus all of a sudden not risen? Are your sins not forgiven? Do you not have eternal life? Does that make a difference when you're going through tough times? Of course it does. Paul puts it in Romans really well. We rejoice in our sufferings. But if we don't continue, that just sounds weird, right? They put you on a couch and give you a pill when you do this kind of stuff, right? If you have something bad and you, you act like everything's fine. That's not what this is saying. Why do we rejoice in our sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. There's that word. Sometimes it's called steadfastness. steadfastness. Sometimes it's called perseverance. But suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Wonderful, you know, this is, you know, those four things to remember. Why do I suffer? So that you can endure and build your character and have hope. You know, Lots of times, I remember I looking around, we, you know, one of the things, if you become a member, we need to hear your faith story. 
almost every one of them are coming out of some turmoil. You think about when you go through something bad, you're either going to get bitter or better. That's really what it comes down to. Are you going to cry in your milk with everybody else? And you know, that's okay to do for a while. Uh, or are you going to look to the one who gives you eternal life and a walk through with you? That's what this is talking about. This isn't the only thing suffering does. I mean, suffering sometimes is because evil people do evil things. But this is how we're supposed to do it. Endure it. And you can pray as we talked with the kids. I think it's okay for, to pray for God to take it away. One of the most humbling experiences I've ever had, we had some, they were from Eritrea, one was from South Sudan, and then I think the other was from Egypt. This was when I am in seminary, so about 20 years ago. They came, and that was when that, that area was really a lot of persecution of Christians, something we can hardly fathom, but you can just read the news. It's happening. Um, so they came for a weekend, and we talked with them and prayed with them and, and, and uh, uh, about the worship we were doing and all that kind of stuff. But then at the end, they were getting ready to leave. And my mentor had told me uh, at Shepherd of the Hills uh, down there that I interned under, said, when you go to somebody, I've always remembered this, so if I do it to you, this is where it comes from, um, and I'm looking around, and some of you have done that. Uh, always ask what somebody wants you to pray for. Don't assume you know. You'd be surprised, even at the hospital beds, what people ask for. Sometimes it has nothing to do with the illness. Sometimes it does. Sometimes I look at it, and you're, what, are you an idiot? I'm in a hospital bed with a terrible illness, and you're asking me what you want me to pray for. Can I get somebody that's not so stupid, or dull, excuse me, um, so I realize that, but what you're trying to get to know the person here, right? This is supposed to be a, a, a relationship that we're trying to do here. So, so we ask him, you know, what do you want us to pray for? And I, I you know, so humbling to hear this. May the, pray that the gospel will continue to spread through our suffering. And I'm like, what, what, what was that again? <laughs> I, what, what would I pray for in, in, third, in first world America? Get rid of this suffering, you know? And I don't think they said don't, but they, they had seen the church grow. You know, you know where the church is growing in the world right now? Indonesia, illegal. China, pretty much illegal. Iran, really illegal. Afghanistan, illegal. It's growing. And you know, people don't say, well, you know, I think I'll be a Christian. You know, I've got nothing else better to do. Somebody invited me to church, so we'll go. Maybe they'll take me out to eat afterward. You know, you don't go to church in Iran because somebody's going to take you out to eat. You go to the church in Iran because Jesus has changed your heart and you've experienced his grace. And that's a little bit of a problem with ours, I think, isn't it? We think we've got it, you know. And yes, if you say, do you like this, Brian? Not particularly. Um, but we know it's true, isn't it? Um, Sometimes the only way we'll run to God is if the only path to sanity is him. <laughs> and that happens with these folks. The other one we've had uh, a number of times, a great verse, James 1, count it all joy. You know, same thing, rejoice, very similar, almost like James and Paul were reading each other's stuff. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for we know that the testing of your faith produces what? It's pronounced, or it's translated steadfast, same word, endurance, perseverance. And let that endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So when you go through things, I think the first thing you got to think is, how is God trying to help me through this from a spiritual situation and then try to deal with the things that you can there? And what do you do? You come around people. And sometimes you never know why something happens. Why questions are hard. But in this life, obviously, God has morally sufficient reasons to allow things that we don't know the answer to. Um, so we just have to trust him. But the way this ends is, you know, perfect, complete. You're going toward the goal. Uh, in this life, probably the next, not everything worthwhile is going to take some effort, folks. Um, it took you effort to get here, right? Show of hands how many showered before they came. One. You better start raising your hand or you're going to get this on tape. <laughs> but, I mean, it takes some time to get here. Um, good, you know, you, you set yourself up to, 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 what are you coming for? To know God, and, and I know where some of you are <coughs> at, and sometimes I don't know where some of you are at. I'm not looking for you to come and tell me your sufferings, but I do hope all of us get to know each other better as we continue as a community of faith. So let's finish up here quick, these last uh, four verses. He tells of these dire circumstances we just read about it. They were thinking they're going to die. Um, but he gives the re main re reason for, for his suffering. We've kind of had it already. Verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Sometimes that happens in life. We can't do anything about something. The only thing we got left is to let God help us through it. And then in verse 10, uh, Paul reveals that God did deliver them of this deadly peril. I'm sure they were praying for it. And this is a tone of thanksgiving. Thank you for delivering us. But even if we don't get delivered, we're still going to be following you. Uh, it's kind of back to uh, Rack Shack and Benny. You remember those guys? Um, those three guys with Daniel, they get thrown into the furnace. Because they won't worship, you know, someone other than Yahweh. And that, you know, you, you probably know that story. You know, Daniel's probably watching and trying to uh, pray for him and everything. And they put him in there. And, of course, you get that. They're getting ready to go in. And they say, you know, kind of last thing. You know, last you get, are you going to worship what I tell you to? And he said, our God will protect us. I love that. You think, well, he's got it, you know, maybe a word from the Lord or something. But then the next line is so key. But even if he doesn't, we will not dishonor him. That's a good attitude. So they went into that first probably not knowing what was going to happen. And then you get that wonderful third, fourth personage, you know, the pre-incarnate Jesus, Holy Spirit, some angel. I don't know. But they come out, and they don't even smell like barbecue from what I understand. Um, and didn't, I think one of the couple of the people died to make it so I didn't even bother them. But what a great faith. God will protect us in whatever God way. He's going to protect our souls for sure. Maybe that's what they meant. But even if he doesn't protect us from this fire, we're not going to worship somebody else. That's uh, something we have to think of. So back to this verse 10. Thank you, God, for delivering us from this peril. But even if you don't, you're still my Savior. I'm still following you. And, you know, I guess one good thing, if we burn up, Hello, Jesus, right, at the, after it's all over. So a good verse to remember. And finally, in verse 11, Paul reveals one of the reasons that he believes they were delivered because of the Corinthian believer's prayer. That's what we have to remember. And so I'll kind of back to the children's sermon. Uh, two things at least we should remember here. 
we should pray for other believers who are spreading the gospel. We had uh, the Jensen's here last week from Nepal. I hope you're praying for them. Uh, they're going through probably some suffering. I mean, certainly when they get over there, it's a hard place. It's kind of semi-illegal. Uh, we should be praying for them, for strength, to see through the problems that Christ is working. We support folks in Haiti, Japan, and uh, in next uh, we have domestic uh, folks, you uh, and I now UNL. These people are trying to spread the gospel. We need to be praying for them because that's hard. I mean, listen to what Paul's doing. He's not saying, well, I was afflicted and we were just so happy. <laughs> no, nobody wants this stuff, but we need to do that. And that's what these Corinthians were doing for Paul, no matter, they didn't know where they couldn't even email him, right? But the other one is sometimes we see the direct answers to our prayers as we see here. You know, it's, it's the idea that, you know, you, you pray for something and then it happens. And I think, I know it happens to me, the first little voice well was that really because of your prayer wasn't that just a coincidence I wonder who's saying that <laughs> uh, you know because sometimes it's not as full but Paul's no, no way it's like you prayed we got delivered God used that prayer and that's the way we should look at it we should look at it that God takes our prayers if you remember like in Revelation 5 and 8 you've got this metaphor where the prayers of the saints, the holy ones, is like this incense going up to the throne room. I remember reading that. So that's kind of the way I think my prayers, and yours too. And I get this picture, and if somebody was an artist, they could do this. Um, you've got all these different prayers of the saints going up for a missionary group, family, and they all come together and they meet, and then God takes them. And he takes them to account. That's the beauty of prayer. Did you ever think about that? It's not this guy, well, I already got it figured out. You can say what you want. He uses our prayers. You know, James, you, you don't get because you don't ask. Or you ask with wrong motives. It's a good, good scripture, isn't it? In Jesus' name, always be praying. in Jesus. But if you think of your prayers that way, that God's going to take them. And if you start praying something and you're thinking, no, no, I think that should be back, then don't pray it. I remember in high school, Lord, help us win. I know, is that a horrible prayer? There's a lot that has to go on, right? I always wondered, you know, you think about a team, and there's been even movies like this where the team's praying to win. I've always wondered if the other team's praying to win. <laughs> you start thinking like, hmm, which one's going to get there first, you know? Or you base it on how good the people were. Now we got our prayers are based on how good we are, which, you know, I think our prayers, you have to at least have a belief. Um, but maybe we should pray something like maybe we, we have worked hard in this endeavor. This would be sports, but it could be anything, You're a job, uh, planting a field. We've done this, Lord. We've done our job as best we think we can, and we're just praying for your grace and provision, you know, and let him take it from there, <laughs> you know. And if we win... This was an FCA thing we used. It's Romans uh, 9, kind of paraphrased, or 10, excuse me. If we win, we win for the Lord. And if we lose, we lose for the Lord. So whether we win or lose, we are the Lord's. 
say that before you go on the field. And you get beat 49 to nothing, and you're wondering, that didn't work. But that's not what it was about either, was it? Yeah. So think about your prayers that way. God uses your prayers to make a difference. Often we don't know how they're used, but that they're used should be enough to get you to pray. Just keep at it. And once in a while, you see an answer like he did, and you're like, oh, that keeps you coming back, right? He'll give you what you need. But notice there's no hint of assuming that all will go smoothly. You know, that's going to be out there in every generation. Paul dealt with it. We deal with it today. You know, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away and all the jobs will be fine. You won't suffer anymore. That is not reality. And it's not what's taught in the scripture. So, as we see the opening portion of this letter, it, it's sets us up so well. It's real. It shows us who Jesus is. It shows us uh, where we can turn to this paraclete, this Holy Spirit that's promised to us. Sometimes we don't realize. It, but it gives a good look into Paul's personal mind and motives, which is really cool. What really mattered to him? And that should always help us in our own walk with Christ. Let us pray. Father, this letter is such a wonderful letter as we go through it. I'm sure all of us will see these gems that we can always remember in the walk of our lives. But may we always remember it's all about your gospel, about repentance, realizing we're guilty, experiencing your grace, and living a life of gratitude. And as we sing about your son's walk, may we continue not just with this song, but with our whole lives to praise his name.